0: This is Swapside Chats, a podcast where communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we're joined by Zur to break down two manifestos by the Disco Collective. Uh, the first one is called If I Only Had a Heart. The second is called the disco elements. Groove is in the heart.
1: This is a not one step back forced march request. Thank you to Konolamist in our chat for having us read the Disco Manifesto, but then we realize that there's a second Disco thing, the Disco Elements. And so before we really get into all that, I want to introduce our guest because I frankly don't even know how to talk about what the hell the Disco Collective is um, without consulting them. So welcome, Zerk. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on because I, I had trouble following this because you know it talks about the blockchain right and like anything that talks about blockchain right now i just it always just reads like we gotta do the blockchain to set up a blockchain and we're gonna do disruption by introducing blockchain into you know into this space or whatever and i'm not sure what any of that actually concretely means (laughs) so Mm -hmm. parsing all that i mean i have a vague idea of like what blockchain is and what these coins are you know based on just the numerous explainers that have been published you know in the last six to six to twelve months but I don't – especially here, I don't understand, like, how this really, like, applies or maps onto what they're trying to do. So maybe someone with, like, more of a tech background here could actually, like, explain this to me.
1: Yeah. Sort of. I'm coming from this as, like, a wannabe techie, and I, I'm, you know, I'm getting into mathematics. And it's pretty cool that this super useless, like, weird part of math got turned into something incredibly useful – And so I'm sort of just like appreciating a lot of the stuff that goes into blockchain and just from like a sort of someone that doesn't want to be a primitivist kind of point of view. I kind of imagine that if there is any role for bourgeois technology as we know it in capitalism that avoids, you know, the Soviet Union general cartel replacing abstract domination with concrete domination problem that will, that we're going to end up using some distributed tech somehow. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I I think I'm more inclined to be sympathetic to something like this, but I also have no idea what's going on. And, (laughs) and so So. let me ask you, who, who are the disco collective? What is their deal?
2: So, the Disco Collective, from everything I've been able to gather, is they are a collection of different cooperative organizations, primarily one called uh, Guerrilla Translations, part of the Guerrilla Media Group, which have tried to use these different governance models for running their cooperative translation service. Um, and they've tried to distribute this idea to other people, um, and that, that, that is what's disco is in general it's just we have an organization that works this way maybe you'd like to try it
0: yeah that seems to be the core of it and that's maybe what's so confusing to me about it because you know the way that they talk about it throughout this entire book um does not seem to be at like the scale of what they're actually doing (laughs) right Right. because what what they have at the core okay they have this translation thing and then they have a few other things they have um they have something in i think in jackson what is it
2: cooperation
1: jackson
0: Cooperation, well, Cooperation Jackson.
1: Jackson is one of the most promising things, and by pro- by promising, I mean it's kind of damning with faint, faint praise to say it's one of the more promising things in the Marxist center in the United States. Because, yeesh. However, um, you know, it's it's one of the things that seems like a really you know vital and interesting project. Like,
0: yeah, um, and and yeah, but it's still you know in this grand scheme of things, very small. You know, there's, they have a thing called, I guess, uh, Tay's Bays, uh, which is like a cons- uh, some kind of consultant thing. They have a makerspace, it looks like, in western Spain. A wool-gathering kind of thing called linares in western Spain. They, they have like a handful of things. But maybe what annoyed me so much about this, because reading this, I can't help but contrast it to what we read a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago. Reinventing Organizations. You going teal? The Reinventing Organizations book, because... What that book did was found actually existing things at scale, and then worked backwards from observation of their company cultures and management practices to try and like describe like a phase shift in you know work based social like organizational forms. Uh, what this does though is they seem to be trying to build some kind of model and then get other people to sign on board. And if there's any, like, hope for scale that they really seem to be pinning things on, you kind of get in their second collection called uh, the Disco Elements, where they talk about how if you took all the cooperatives around the world, uh, they would have something that was roughly equivalent in size to, like, Amazon or Walmart or something like that. And so they don't really say this out loud, but they seem to want to create a model by which all of those different cooperatives could confederate into some kind of meta entity that was actually capable of doing more than finding niches within the existing system
1: somewhat yeah worse than how you have characterize it because they have almost an antipathy for the thinking about scaling they are interested in, in economies of scope and to the degree that they talk about federating and federating is a good for them i think it's a seventh element it's, it's you know, it's a federation of shared values, essentially. Shared values is expressed by smaller groups that can network with each other on a consensual basis. Being pretty much the, the backbone for what they hope would... It actually f- snaps pretty well into a, a libertarian Marxist vision pretty easily, or, you know, anything like the like a post-councilist kind of consciousness or you know the stuff that we've been reading that we had read with Tom on uh the fundamental principles and stuff like that it's all very much in this universe of we need to build something you know anarchisty that can replace capitalism but but here we actually do have something that's more anarchist than marxist let's say and they, they are anarchists, nominally. like um, They're
2: they a mutualist.
1: Yeah, In so I wanted, part, they
2: say th- yeah. I,
1: I wanted to talk about what kind of anarchism they are, because there's two touchstones, besides talking about the classics and whatever. There's two touchstones here. One of them is the participatory economics of Michael Albert, Robin, Hanel, which, you can hate it, whatever, It was the analytical Marxist response to market socialism. So I've got some respect for them. On the other hand, you have Kevin Carson, who gets a name check in a footnote, who is the sort of modern mutualist. Um, And by mutualists, we're talking about anarchists, essentially, who believe in, you know, workers owning their own business, but don't really see what's so bad about markets. It would be hard to say that this whole pamphlet is pro market. They identify market state as the enemy a number of times. I was running this stuff by someone else and they were like, yeah, this has c four ss like all over it
2: It definitely falls into the c four ss group, which I am somewhat familiar with as well. Um, part of the thing about this too is and you know coming from the sort of technology history background is one of the things that you sort of have to understand with a lot of these blockchain projects is the, uh, 90s, early 2000s cypherpunks, uh, ideas, which sort of influenced it. Like the Bitcoin white paper went out originally to this group, which is very influenced by the sort of Californian ideology, uh, neither left nor right sort of stuff that uh, very encapsulates all of technology at this time. And I think this is trying to like take this slightly back to the left, but it's still infected with it very deeply.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like reading this, I definitely got the impression again, even more so than last thing I read, like this, just, this did kind of reek of Silicon Valley and one experience I had reading it was, and part of the problem I had with it was the way they talk about everything. They're like, it's going to be environmental, and it's going to be feminist, and it's going to be this and this, blah, 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 blah. You know, basically checking off every conceivable box. And they spend, in so much of the writing of this, they spend all this time talking about what it's going to be without really breaking down, like, specifically what it is. I felt like I was watching an infomercial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's that, and then there's... Some really strange, like, chummy sort of phraseology that they're using. Oh, God. I don't think it would bother me if it didn't feel performative. That the disco technology is being designed developed by a team largely consisting of women, mic drop, right? Like, there's, there's a footnote yeah. that says, well, there's a footnote in particular that I think actually, it, you know... Captures some of their tension with bitcoin and stuff
2: and and what one of the things I will mention is that the uh the best technology I've seen that coming out of a primarily like non white men is actually archive of our own, which is a fan fiction repository oh which yeah is, <laughs> like yeah. that is that is like where this has already gone before, and I don't see the archive our own people jumping on board this very quickly.
1: So I, I found it. It's on page 25 of this version, I suppose. In footnote 23, the design of blockchain architecture strikes us as totes, Masonic slash Golden Dawn fodder. Not very compatible with our feminist, anti-capitalist beliefs. Somebody oh, called gee. the real Illuminati. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> like,
1: um, well, the, and... And there's, you know, sort of a – I don't know. There's a, there's a cloying and, like, marketing element of it that I associate with nonprofits and some forms of popularizing critical theory. You know, like – I mean, the way
0: this is laid out definitely, like, takes me back to, like, the kind of, like, alter globalization era, kind of like books or – you know, magazines that you would see. And yeah, like a zine. Like a zine. Yeah. Or or even like something that is maybe like a, some kind of a collection of essays by different people. You know, it has that, it has that, that has that kind of graphic design sensibility to it. And I, I there was a part of me very early on that was kind of like tickled by the nostalgia for that, but it, it wears out very quickly.
2: <laughs> the thing that is like the sort of core part that they're trying to sort of sell, if there is something they're selling it's on page 66 with the head, uh, header of for those about to geek, we salute you, which, again, has that same sort of extremely chummy thing. And this is where they actually explain what is the technical solution that they are bringing to the table, which you then can layer on top their philosophy.
0: Right. So and it's like there's like a collection of different like apps, some of which it sounds like are they're actually using and others are still in the process of developing.
2: Yes. And I, I, I could explain what these apps are.
0: <laughs> uh, could because... you please? Because <laughs> I I was trying to basically and I, I also thought it was strange. that It's like, OK, you're kind of putting this model out there, but but you don't still don't have like the apps aren't done yet. And yeah. there's also and there's this weird thing they do where they're constantly like people ask us these questions and we say we don't know. You know, and and I don't know if that's supposed to be cute or that's supposed to be what, that what that's supposed is, to be, but
1: th- there's there's a all right, I'm going to sound insane right now, but like, there is a corporate substrate to like, you know, academic Marxism and like the nonprofit sector that you have to head off criticisms and deflect things in a specific way right before you make the same mistake that someone was asking you not to make you have to do it they they're telling us that they're not shiny tech kids that are here to save the world they say that we don't mean disrupt like that right they do that but they don't they
0: are you saying this has the characteristic of fetishistic disavowal
1: i am fetishistic disavowal now that's a critical theory term that's useful
0: okay so could you could you could you help us and break down these apps please okay there... <laughs> so the
2: thing they're talking about the thing that they refer to as the disco deck um is <sighs> uh, yes and I, I will also say that this very much is a thing that happens a lot of these sort of technology things is they will pick a metaphor and go way too far with it <laughs> um and, <laughs> Like a peep of technology that I've used on more than one occasion is called Puppet, and so they decided to have Puppet and Puppet Master and Puppet Agents, and it like they just decided to do that over and over again with Salt. It's Salt stacks and pillars of Salt and all of these things. Yeah, I'm just it, gonna
0: I'm just gonna cut in the guy from Fringe of the Nerds screaming Nerds. Yes.
2: Nerd! Again, they, this happens all the time. You just sort of deal with it, anyways. Okay. But what they are talking about here for the disco deck, which seems to be the, the, the core, like, piece of software they're talking about, is a thing based upon a concept called ActivityPub, which most people who have, you know, any sort of adjacency to Twitter and things will have probably heard of Mastodon. And Mastodon is an alternative to Twitter, which runs on top of this protocol called ActivityPub. An activity pub is just a standard way of saying, here's a little message that I'd like other people to get. You know, sometimes I want to publish to a lot of people, sometimes I want to publish to a few people, sometimes I want to direct message somebody. Each person might be on a different server, but here's a protocol that allows us to send messages that, you know, we don't care if they happen in real time, but we'd like them to happen sometime soon. Um, and everything else. The value flow thing is just an extension of ActivityPub that says here's a bunch of standardized ways of saying I'd like to transfer you some amount of value. Um, which again, you know, they're they're being very generic here in the value the value flow thing, so that you don't technically have to be talking about dollars, cents, or anything like that. It's just arbitrary value. Um, and so that's that core part. The second part is this thing called the Federation layer, which they talk about uh, Secure Scuttlebutt or blockchain. Secure Scuttlebutt is, think of it kind of like Signal, but without a centralized server. It allows you to do communication more in real time um, than, than the sort of standard activity pub way. It's relatively secure. It's impossible to get into because you have to know somebody with a Scuttlebutt node. And again, I excuse me for all the names here. They're all bad. And then the last part they talk about is the, well, we made a message that said, I would like to hand you $20. How do I actually get you $20? And that's when they first actually start bringing in the blockchain stuff with things like interledger and tendermint. These are just protocols on top of blockchain that talk about how do I give you $20 because as much as people say Bitcoin is going to be this wonderful thing that will make transactions easier, it's actually impossible to move money around on the blockchain without a huge amount of work in any reasonable way. So you have to have these intermediary players who handle it for you.
0: Okay, yeah, because I heard somewhere that like it, it, if it takes like what like some like I heard it was like seven minutes or something to like process a Bitcoin transaction.
2: So to 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 be clear, here's how a, a sort of small part about that part of blockchain. For Bitcoin in particular, and this changes based upon the blockchain and people will argue about this, the way it works is you suggest to the network, I would like to make the following transaction and I am willing to pay this much to make this transaction happen soon. Then all the nodes on the network will collect it and that's where they start doing the mining game that wastes all the energy that starts killing the planet. The, the thing is that you basically have to hit a train And that train for Bitcoin goes every 10 minutes and they do a bunch of work in the math to make that happen. So when you submit a transaction, you have to wait until at least the next train for that transaction to possibly be put onto the blockchain and be committed. But even if your transaction has been put on the blockchain and committed, that does not mean that it is completed at that point you have to wait until you confirm that the chain that your block was added to is now the longest chain, which means you need to wait for at least two or three other blocks to be put in front of it, which means that you have to wait for a 10 minute train, then you have to wait for at least two more trains to go by. So by the time you can actually confirm that yes, the transaction I sent to the network is committed, is done, you're now talking about 30, 40 minutes.
1: We should go into the reasons why it is such a rigmarole because it, it kind of dovetails into an important kind of thing that this pamphlet is struggling with, the, quote, trustless right. system, right? So the to, to reason that it
2: works this way is there is no central authority to Bitcoin. This is, again, they talked about this a lot as being decentralized, but this is the core thing that is missing from any of these systems is you have to trust somebody to make the transactions happen.
0: Right. Well, and then I think they mentioned how, I guess, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Satoshi Nakamoto? Is that, is that the, the, yes. the fake name. Yeah. That, that he or there, whoever mentions in the white paper that like the, the, the number one problem with currencies is that, uh, they might be debased by the government. Yes, Right. Which it's like, is that the number one problem with currencies? Uh, you know, for anybody but like a handful of like gold bugs and and libertarian psychos. Yes.
2: So I will point uh, uh, Tech Won't Save Us, which is another podcast, just did a great interview with David Golumba, who did a book called Politics of Bitcoin, Technology of Right-Wing Extremism, which goes into that basically Bitcoin is just a fantasy for uh, libertarian gold bugs.
0: I mean, yeah, everything that it says like sounds like that. To me, like everything I've heard, because and also this thing about trust where it's like, you know, the, we have to create a perfect system where nobody has to trust each other. Again, like this, just, it sounds like this sounds like all this sounds insanely dystopian.
1: I can appreciate that. But like, I do think so, some kind of independent like checks in the economy or something are going to be important. If if the primitivists aren't wrong, right, and techno and bourgeois technology somehow is going to help us build communism and we don't have to just destroy it in a big, you know, bonfire of the vanities in order to get to classless society and experience a population drop. And I have to drink horse piss to get hormones. Like, you know, in, in order, right. Like if, <laughs> if, if society is going to like maintain its, you know, technological basis at all. Um, I, I, I can't imagine there being a better, jump off for that than some kind of distributed distributed tech that doesn't rely on a central body at all.
2: So so my, my thing would be to, uh, you know, I mentioned previously this activity pub, Mastodon, they all work on the concept of federation, which again, this is partially why they're bringing that term federation into this is they're pulling from that concept over there. And the idea behind Federation is, it's not that you don't trust everybody, it's just that you trust only a group of people who you're willing to work with. Um, You can see this on Mastodon servers. So Mastodon, for those that aren't familiar, is just a clone of Twitter that's implemented so that you can run your own Twitter server and work with other people who are also running Twitter servers. The system that Mastodon has made is such that, Um, you can define your server to only be willing to talk to other servers or explicitly not talk to specific servers. So for example, Gab, which is one of the uh, three or four right-wing Twitter clones, one that's been around the longest, is just running Mastodon. But most Mastodon servers won't talk to Gab. So there's basically two Mastodon ecosystems that are completely disconnected from each other. Of course, the Turf instance is with the Gab instance as well, for to explain that whole thing. But uh, you know that you know truly free speech and all of that. Um, but that's how they're thinking about it. That instead of trying to say we have no trust, we just are explicit about who we trust. And there are some Mastodon nodes that are like you explicitly have to opt into. We we explicitly say only the following servers can talk to us. Other servers say, as long as you're not on the naughty list, you can talk to us. Um, And, you know, you can sort of decide whether which way you're more feel more safe on this
1: network. All right. So it's good to understand what like the alternatives are. I just like I guess going through all like the socialist calculation literature, it does. There is a problem of information hiding um, in the Soviet Union that like, I don't know. If you're going to have, like, a large economy, and I guess I'm thinking of an integrated world economy, like, it is hard to... How do I put this? Like, just this... I think a cybernetic view is sort of, I don't know, agnostic about centralization and decentralization ultimately. And so I don't know what level of centralization, like, a world economy would need. I, I, I imagine that, like, you know, a communist world economy, where, like... Some Star Trek shit, like no one's hungry. You know, like. So, there are. So,
2: one of the things about blockchain in particular is that it is a list of technologies all combined. One of the reasons that people bring up that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is hard to track down is that it isn't actually bringing anything new to the table. All the ideas in blockchain and Bitcoin existed before the paper was written. The Whoever Nakamoto was, was just taking a bunch of things that are on the table and putting them together in a particular way that ended up becoming hugely popular. Um, you know, and some of the ideas go back like even a decade before blockchain existed, period. So like there's nothing unique there.
1: Yeah, libertarian capitalists are adept at reappropriating things that left anarchists do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and like packaging them in a way where they're, you know, they can kind of be more culturally impactful, unfortunately. So Um, one of the things, yeah. Sorry, but like one of the
2: things that Bitcoin is really doing, if you like really like tear down the layers about talking about other stuff is that one of the layers is effectively what's known as a time stamping system where you can just say this thing happened after that thing. Or you can say that we have a line of time and that you cannot have done something in the future or the past and so you don't have to be on the same network in the same way to trust for example the timeline so you could have a thing where these two and you you might have some network that's just producing the timeline and that timeline is what gives you the ability to do the sort of cybernetic view give you the sort of thing without having to buy into all of blockchain value creation everything else
1: yeah yeah because I think uh, blockchain, especially Bitcoin, is it, it seems to me to be an inherently capitalist form. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's just coded in, and and especially the the gold bug bit about Bitcoin is coded in. They want, yeah, they want something. It's 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 kind of amazing, like because the old the old argument for the gold standard is is that it was real and physical, but there's something more abstract and sh- we like weird about basing it on this. I don't know. Is It's not directly... It's not directly, like... How do we put this? It's just turning all this, like, energy into value. It's almost a neo georgist like, fantasy, except, you know, that destroys the world. So Georgias would be horrified.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that as much as they try and claim that it is this Neo-Gold it does itself effectively run on simple majority. And that's mm. the thing that is not talked about nearly enough is that the the requirement for why nobody disobeys the rules is entirely based upon the idea that disobeying the rules will make the value of your coins worthless. Therefore, it is better to play by the rules than not. That's, and that's written into the white paper.
1: Yeah, that's the game theory behind it. It's basically like if there's a node that has liar transactions, you know, that's like they're trying to fudge it, and you know, I don't know, they're for, they're they have forty nine percent of computing power because they're like a they're like a fail son supervillain, so they could only they they just missed the margin, right? But you know,
0: wasn't there an attack on Bitcoin like early on or something like that where somebody got majority like stake at some point? I think I remember reading
1: in Ethereum, maybe.
0: It, oh, maybe it was Ethereum. I forget which which, which so, thing it was.
1: So the, the the better thing to
2: talk about is, and they bring up this topic as well, is the DAO. So they reference the thing called DAOs, which are distributed, autonomous, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. That is part of their theory behind all of this. is This idea. Pa- part of the reason that I feel especially wary about this is that there was a thing called the DAO back in 2016 that failed horribly and led to forking the Ethereum chain in order to fix it. The short version of the story is that because it runs on consensus and that consensus is defined by running the software, if you can convince the developers to change the software, that is what defines the rules of the system. So they made a thing, it had a bug in it, using the whole smart contract stuff and everything else. And they asked the developers of Ethereum to just please ignore everything that happened after this point in time and write a patch into the code to make that happen. And then they distributed that to everybody and enough of the people followed the developers that it unwound this thing that went wrong.
0: So yeah, and that's bizarre to me because like, it just seems like this stuff doesn't really even I mean everyone praises it as being like brilliant but it doesn't seem to do anything that it sets out to do like it isn't isn't stable it doesn't work as currency you know what I mean like it, it uh, you know it, it requires like third party mediators and like, like coders for any of it to work you know what I mean you haven't created like this perfectly autonomous like trustless thing you've just kind of you created like a, a simulacrum of one <laughs>
2: Right. I mean, you are very accurate on that, is that it takes, it, it, it is moving the power away. It, it is almost sort of funnily like that uh, uh, Spike Lee Bitcoin ad that just came out recently.
0: <laughs> yes. um, Do your own research. The digital rebellion is here. Old money is out. New money is in. Spike yeah, basically Spike Lee has become the Shaquille O'Neal of like directors. Like he'll just he'll just do ads for anything.
2: And yeah. and the whole message of the Bitcoin ad, which is really advertising for a Bitcoin AP, ATM, uh, is that there's the old money and there's this new money and you can move from the old money to the new money and the new money will be more woke.
0: There's a rural area that I I drive by sometimes that has like a lot of you know like a lot of illegal migrant workers right and there's like a ton of on my on my on my google maps i see like three or four like bitcoin atms in this area and like again like and this is this is like a rural bagass area you know what i'm saying like it's like why are the why are there all these bi- these bitcoin atms here i don't know
2: so part of it is is that it could be cheaper to put the bitcoin atm out there like, you have to ask mm. for the real estate, and it could be cheaper. And if you are trying to convince a venture capital firm to invest in you, saying that we've already deployed 10,000 Bitcoin APMs, <laughs> even if yeah. 90% of them are in rural areas,
1: th- who's going to check that?
0: Right. That, make- that makes sense, too, yeah, because it doesn't matter where it is, yeah.
1: Right. But, but there, there are a lot of ways that people are, like, very, like buying into small amounts of bitcoin for instance i use like a squares cash app instead of you know venmo or paypal and they have a perk where if you shop at a restaurant you know you get x amount of what you like bought at the restaurant like for shop at a restaurant nice um you know if you buy something from this place or whatever you can get a small amount of it back in bitcoin um So I have just like $26 of Bitcoin from like six months of buying shit, you know, just sitting there.
2: And this is where I would be very specific about some of these things. And this is sort of related into even sort of the further scams that are going on in Bitcoin and stuff like that is that what those companies are doing is they are not actually giving you anything that would be resembling Bitcoin when it comes to the larger network. All they are doing is (laughs) incrementing a row in a database to say that if the person asks maybe we will transfer them an amount of bitcoin equivalent to the current exchange value for bitcoin there is nothing happening on the blockchain when you do that transaction with where
1: like it's just amazing because i don't know like i i'm not into mmt but there is there is a way that modern money is like like so crazy made up like Like, I obviously, you know, I do think there's this, you know, gravity center of value and that sort of thing. And so, I... I...
0: Well, so much money, so much in the money that traded in the past was banknotes, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure, like, like, that was, like, a a similarly insane system. So, you know...
1: But there's, there's just a a wonderful passage, I think it's in Capital, where, you know, there's, there's a prophecy, essentially, you know, that pretty soon, you know, this shit's going to get more and more abstract, it's just going to be numbers, Talking about capital's value, and like it's kind of what it is.
2: Yeah, and this is this is related to you might have heard about the tether fiasco or things like that, which is there are organizations that are claiming that they hold amount of U.S. dollars that you can trade on the blockchain exchanges, and a lot of the stuff like Square and etc. are really saying that we are giving you access to that, and when The people come from the U.S. government to say, hey, could we take a look at, you know, you're claiming to be backing this asset with U.S. dollars. We're really interested in the idea of that. Um, Could we please take a look at your books? When they look at the books, it's there's like three percent that they could possibly ever actually like deliver in U.S. dollars and that a lot of the backing in it is the current value of Bitcoin. So so it's, it's this loop that goes around and there's no actual money there. (laughs)
1: so nuts
0: okay so i have one more i have one more question so like one thing happened recently that i've been praying on for a long time so like china basically cracked down like pretty hard on like some of the crypto stuff they can't do mining in a lot of places etc etc um they or i think they 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 shut down a bunch of exchanges too like in china like what is that is that enough to like crater this thing like is this enough to slay the beast or is it or is this just gonna is so, it just going to move somewhere else? Or we're just back on this bullshit for, you know, for the next cycle.
2: So the the, the price has cratered back down to a point in which video cards are to uh, become reasonably priced
1: again. Um, <laughs> yes. Ray tracing. Make a camera. let the, the, girl Minecraft, everyone. <laughs> the, uh, the thing with
2: it is, is that it is relatively easy for a nation state to get rid of blockchain. All they have to do is stop having exchanges in their currency which they can very easily do under money laundering laws and et cetera. Um, So it is, it it is entirely trivial for them to Ah, say that
1: this is over. You really, you really think that would work? Yeah. I I just, I don't know. Like I've been on the internet a long time. (laughs) The state saying you can't do something doesn't mean you can't do it.
2: So of course it would still be happening, but the value would crater so far that, the, the the value of Bitcoin is still highly correlated to the dollar. And that is what they have created. Is they have created a combination Forex market and futures market for both computing capacity times U.S. dollars.
0: So there is a way for them to shut that down if they wanted to. So what you're
1: this saying should... is that you're both kind of g held on... On blockchain, is that is that what I'm well, hearing here? Is that well, like... no. Hey, he he
0: did it, and I was starting to get worried he wasn't getting my letters, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. So,
1: <laughs>
2: and and again, to be clear, I think most of what they focused on was just like the sort of you are currently using all this energy that we could better use to other purposes to do this useless thing. You know, you have to shut down. I don't think they went as much after the exchanges. Um, there are still a bunch of. Financial firms in China that are working with with Bitcoin, um, and okay. stuff like that. So it was mostly about the exchange rate thing there. That still had a huge not exchange rate, but the uh, mining, mining operation. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but that, that had still... an impact
1: on on Bitcoin. Like there was yeah, some... yeah,
2: yeah, and and that's that's the reality that we're in right now. Is you can. As long as the price of Bitcoin stays around thirty thousand, it makes it so that buying video cards is not profitable, and so okay. that's why you can now buy a video card again. So
1: what you're saying is that G is looking out for the gamers. Yeah. <laughs> Turns towards <the> YouTube. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. Uh,
0: yeah. Okay. So should we t- we talk about? I'm trying to pull, I'm trying to pull it up, but should we talk about like the discos remuneration scheme?
1: I no, I, I do want to talk about this, and I, I actually now that we've like gotten past a 40 minutes hate on uh, blockchain and Bitcoin, I do think that there is like some very simple way that yeah. like <laughs> like Bitcoin specifically prefigures, you know, like the 21st century like councilist scheme in that like. Your labor voucher is just, you know, you get one pancake. It's not transferable. Like, it's just, it's yours. You did the work. Here, you know, here's a pancake for your labor hour. And, you know, you just get, like, a stack of pancakes, you know, depending on, like, how much you work, right? Like, and you can't transfer it because it's not fucking money. Like. <laughs> well, yeah. So you're basically
0: talking about using, like, a distributed ledger to record, like, labor tokens and hours and stuff like that.
1: Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't you don't need the general cartel, which is the arch enemy in the fundamental principles of communist, uh, you know, production and distribution. You don't need the general cartel. You you don't need them to keep track. You can like the, the workers themselves can do it. But also you ha- you have a check which isn't bure isn't bureaucratic. It is technocratic, which is its own problem. But it's not like I don't know. You're not. You don't need a corporate board to manage it.
2: So one of the things I will clarify is that in their current structure the labor voucher tokens are not on the blockchain. The labor v- tokens are done through that activity pub Mastodon thing
1: so you're talking about their actual labor tokens and not my theoretical pancake like, yes because they 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 kind of do have but this this seems it's a it's a very interesting because basically what they're trying to do is, not really address the value form and talk about um re- like what it would be like to actually like um reward reproductive labor.
0: Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to find the section on that.
1: In a se- it, it's the feminist economic section. It essentially, you know, has a three like tier scheme of different types of work. You know, the funny thing about the wages for housework campaign is from what I understand about it and, you know, it is, like, Italian Marxist feminism, so it is all a bit avant-garde, right? I think that it was a sort of impossibilist demand, and the point of it, the theoretical thrust of it, the cash value, the, the Bitcoin of it, is that, like, your economy would crumble if you actually paid for all the reproductive work that we do. I think that was the point of the Wages for Housework campaign, more so than literally trying to get Wages for Housework. That could just be some kind of flip on it. But anyway, like, even if that's fake or something, I've never really seen someone try to monetize reproductive labor in an organization. And I'll say this, that like, I want to work on, on this model. All, all the shit that I've done in like leftist organizations or for like fucking Looney Tunes, crazy BDSM cult, like, like leftist orgs and like Leninist stuff, you know what I mean? Like, I wish I was like remunerated on this, you know, care work model or whatever. Like that sounds pretty great. <laughs> like I've done a lot of admin, you know. I've I've done a lot of that kind of thing. I like this idea, but it's an it's such it's a very interesting like dodge of like well value you. Let's talk about reproductive labor.
0: Well, and I guess one thing I would be curious uh, to know about. Is, you know, because I think one of the examples they come up with is like, okay, you, you have $10,000, right? The $10,000 comes in and this is how it's get distributed. But like, you know, like, like what, how much money is actually coming into one of these groups? And, you know, like, how do you get something off the ground in a way that's like sustainable? And you're providing like, you know, a livelihood to the people who are contributing to it. You know, how do these things get off the ground and scale up? Because most of the time when you start something up, you need some capital, and that seems to always be the biggest like obstacle to, to starting shit like this. You know what I'm saying?
2: And I think that's part of why they're talking about the Federation model so much is it's sort of you can get your starting capital from another cooperative is sort of the idea that they can sort of go with there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does seem to be like a very specific kind of setup that they have where it's like some people are full time, some aren't. And then there's different kinds of remuneration for...
1: Yeah, it's for like, I don't know, it was, I I can't find it right now for some reason, but it is something like doing regular profitable work, doing like unpaid work, and then doing like care work.
0: Okay, I I have it. Uh, Yeah, basically they say there's like the three, they they describe them as three value streams. Here it is. Uh, Yeah, livelihood, which is client paid market goods or services, love work, uh, pro bono voluntary work to create commons and then care work, mutual support for members in maintaining the collective. Uh, and then so basically if it is basically, if a, if a disco has 10,000 euros cash available one month, 75% goes to livelihood shares, 25% go to love work, love work shares. And then each bucket is then divided according to individual members shares in livelihood. So it says like, I guess, uh, Joan uh, Joanninas has like twenty-five of livelihood and forty of love, so they're paid uh twenty eight seventy-five in total. But so it yeah, there's like a certain
1: Yeah. This is the most prefigurative and explicit thing that they're offering, which I think is like I don't know. This is an interesting proposal. It is like doing some questioning of, you know, classic uh political economy and neoclassical political economy. It is not really a Marxist critique, but it's not totally incompatible. I don't know. How do we feel about this? Because I'm still kind of like Team Pancake. You know, I, I don't want like everything in the world to be like remunerated in this way. But like, I guess for like an existing organ, like for a capitalist organization, this sounds pretty good.
0: I mean, so one thing I actually kind of I did kind of like about what he was talking about with some of the... Some of the organizations that were characterized sort of in reinventing organizations, they basically just let people do whatever. There was a lot more like self-assessment that took place there. The book argues that people are actually very good at determining what value they're actually bringing to something. And if you just kind of give them the space to do what they see needs to be done and feel good at or, or, or feel that they're good at, that stuff will kind of happen. So I don't know how you exactly determine what is universally valuable within different organizations and how, how that remuneration goes. They are right that this kind of stuff like does have value and brings value to an organization and should be remunerated. So I think, you know, this is, I, you know, from an arbitrary standpoint, seems to be as good a scheme as any. But I would, would also imagine that ideally you'd want something that was maybe a little more, that could, it could be even more loose than this. You would just have to basically prioritize, you know, those other aspects. Although it also suggests to me that, you know, if, okay, so... You know, you could have somebody who is just cool to be around and having them around made the pl- like workplace more fun to be at, and that person doesn't really work that much, but just having them there is cool so you would pay them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> I'm kind of, I am don't know. That's kind of cool, actually. I, of I, that's I, what I'm saying. I,
2: I have <laughs> done a, I've done a lot of reading on technical management stuff as well because it shows up a lot in tech work is trying to understand how do you make a bunch of – technical people, which at this point in time tends to be more towards the artisan than the manufacturing end. And so there's a lot of questions of how do you make a bunch of artisans do thing for profit uh, that people are still trying to figure out? And there have been discussions of how do you deal with exactly that person? How do you deal with a person that they produce like no code that is measurable by anything in the company, but if you fire them, the productivity will go through the floor. And what they find out often is that that person is doing effectively the care work. They're remembering when everybody's birthday is and and making sure that a cake gets ordered. Uh, They're making sure that there's an outing that gets planned, those sorts of things. Uh, They produce no value, but if they're not there, no value will be produced either.
1: Yeah, they're, they're Neelix on Voyager. Like, right. <laughs> if, if if Neelix wasn't like doing the catering or something, people would be like, "Oh fuck, we'll never find Earth." Just kind of like drift off into a meaningless haze. And,
2: and and this is this idea. Like, I did go over to the Gorilla Translation website, and they have a wiki where they go into this for like pages and pages and pages of like examples. And I think the important thing to note is, even though they're talking about calculating care work into it. One of the things they don't go as much into here is that there's this concept of, like, dating the the organization that you go through, yeah. rather than...
0: I feel like they could have phrased that in a different way. Yeah. some of that just felt a little <laughs> weird to me. Well,
1: <laughs> but, it's, like it's, it's more of, like, the, the, the tone that is... Right. What can we say about this? Are we just being pricks? Like didn't don't don't we read yeah, like fascists like and be like yeah well that's pretty cool like you know do, do, we, do we do we have to be so salty on this like why yeah, why do i, I feel this way like
0: yeah, i mean because it sounds like it's like you know are you, are you running a, are you running a firm or are you running a polycule you know what i mean yeah. like why yeah, I, I, yeah, as yeah. someone who has been involved with both
2: their pro- their problems are actually the same uh, so... <laughs> 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 oh god no but but anyway be, be <laughs> But anyways, the decision here is that you, the way that you are supposed to sort of get into this organization is that you don't have to immediately switch your income stream to be this new organization, and you can date and get a small income stream from it during that getting to know each other process.
0: Right. I mean, that, I guess so much of this that it just the the cutesy phrasing of everything rubs me the wrong way. I don't know, you know. It, Maybe maybe I expect more. I think, honestly, my frustration with this piece comes from the fact that I, I maybe I want something from it that it doesn't actually have and maybe, to me, seems to imply that it does have, which is, what makes this different from co-ops? You know, how do you get out of... Because, look, the co-ops, they often they find a niche within capitalism. I'm, I'm sure they're better to work at than working at a lot of places. But it's not something that... Is any kind of meaningful threat, or even really a meaningful respite from the system for you know most people. So it's like, you know, how do you create like? Th- I guess this can't create something that anything new that could really change the game for co ops, unless this is something that is so amazing that all the co ops decide to use it and then become into like enmeshed into some kind of like broader network that's capable of maybe acting. At like a macro scale in some way on the economy, but that seems so peripheral to everything that's described here and maybe only slightly hinted at in one section that, yeah, the rest of it is just like, Hey, we got this really cool model that would be cool for co-ops or you could start something kind of like it. It's like, that's true, but that was always the case. You could start a co-op. You can do that, and there's even a part where they get, they get into weird laissez where it's like we got to convince the government to give us money to start co-ops. It's like we're back to this. Yeah. What are we yeah. doing?
1: Yeah, no, we're back. We're back to this. I mean, there's even a part at the end that's like, hey, not all not all markets are bad. So I mean, you know, which you know, markets predate capitalism, and you know, maybe read Kevin Carson of the Center for a Stateless Society. Um, but but there is also this other, oh God. That, that is distracting. I mean, you know, wh- why say that at the end? Like, we read through your whole rhizomatic piece. Like, you drop that on us? I think, the, you know, a big part of it is that, that what they're offering is the cybernetic decomposition of what they call the coordinator class after the participatory economics literature. I mean, it, this is just the class theory that Albert and Honnell are, are working with, and they import it into this. So that's like... Maybe the most like Marxist thing that happens here is this critique of bourgeois bodies. But, you know, if you know how the like dynamics around the PMC like thesis are going, like there's need for subtlety here. <laughs> you but know,
0: at the same time, you also have to understand this whole computerized scheme of, of remuneration and all this other shit like.
1: But so it's turning from organizational sort of assets into technical assets, Um, which you can, you can educate a lot of people, but there are some people who are never going to command, um, like the respect of their peers, like unless their peers are especially decent. It's like, I I can see why they want to shift it into skills instead of like, but, but it is ultimately, yeah, this isn't like, you know, workers doing labor time accounting, and, like, not turning it over to management or something. Like, the, the, there, there is a gesture in this. I don't know. Am I, am I being unfair? Yeah, but you, you,
0: you have you have to overthrow class society to get rid of that coordinator class problem. No. No. You know?
1: Like, I, I don't know if that's true on the scale that they're talking about. And I think that's maybe, like, where we're getting hung up because they're not talking about the communist future, even though they – it's not, like they make an explicit gesture towards like turning co-ops into a counterpower, you know, like they are yeah. like I guess preying I... on our libertarian Marxist like s- sad desires, <laughs> you know, like. Fucking... <laughs> well, it, I guess
0: what winds me up in it is because they, they do the thing that's in so much like liberal and like, you know, anarcho-liberal rab femme writing where it's like it's intersectional, it's environmental, it's this, it's blah, 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 blah. And it, you're just like running off a checklist of things that you're supposed to say. Uh, you know to make sure that everybody's happy even if it doesn't even really apply to what they're saying you know to what they're actually describing like they're just describing like cuz i remember like they, like how like how is this exactly environmental like how does this, there's nothing in this scheme about that it's all about like internal remuneration to the to the firm
2: so i mean there is the point and like i'm not tr- <laughs> i guess i will try to defend it just a little bit yeah, one yeah, thing yeah, that they do do here is the firm doesn't hold on to anything So the firm is like, one of the things they basically say is that all the money that comes in does get distributed out to everybody. So the firm itself never accumulates capital. Um, And so that is one of these things that they're trying to figure out how to make this work inside of the existing system and I think that's I think this is where the sort of tension is is that they are not talking about something that is for overthrowing the existing order they're talking about how do we survive in this existing order to maybe do something like that later
0: well but they're talking about how to run a run a translation company but right. like how do, you, how, do, you, how, do you, how, is, how does you not accumulate anything if you if you don't have you can do that if you don't have any fixed capital assets? So the, how, how would you how would you do that for like, I don't know, making cars or something?
2: The I think that's part of the the weakness here, too, is they don't have a way of handling the sort of fixed capital issue. Um, and I think one of the ways they talk about and this is something that I think we haven't talked about as much is the sort of idea of the commons that they also bring into here which is something that has been also from the sort of techno optimist thing for a long time going back to lawrence lessigs and creative commons and those organizations going back a number of years now is that it was also
0: it's also big in like the mid-2000s like right you know that was the whole um michael hart and antonio negri
2: yeah and the idea would be that you don't the, or the firm, if it's holding on to anything, it's holding on to a commons and making that available. So, you know, I don't want to put word in mouth, but if they say there was a disco car factory, it would actually be the disco uh, car maker space that anybody could come into and make cars at. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, they just have the tools there for cars to be made by people who happen to be nearby who want to make a car.
1: Which, like, maybe maybe that, like, I don't know. mean that's like, sounds very stupid, but I think what they're trying to accomplish is rather admirable, right? Like that y- you destroy corporate bureaucracy in, in like, or the potential for like, even like small managerial, like domination in an organization. And like, cause you know, it's, it's like common to the old workers movement and the experience of work today that like, if you are in a job where you have, like, a skill and you kind of care about the art of that skill in some, like, ideological-but-it's-good-for-you sort of way, <laughs> like, like you do often feel like you could do the, the job better than the boss. And, like, in a lot of times, you're probably right. Like, because the boss isn't there for that. And if you could somehow get that out of the way, you could do what you want. And so, like, in a capitalist organization, I I get I get this. Like, I get this and the uh, And Jake's right that the, like a lot of the intersectional stuff is sort of bullshit here. But the one that isn't is the feminist one. Like that they they actually did go into feminist like theory and you know, find this like qualitative critique of Economics and you know this pluralist form like of value streams or whatever you know there is like a critique of political economy here that isn't like it's not terrible and if they did that for everything they checked name checked
0: great you know like I would like fine but it's I don't know I, I guess so, so much of the presentation of this is what's really pissing me off like if this thing was like set if this thing was like seven pages and it just it just broke down the basics of what they're doing I probably wouldn't have been. Uh, you know, nearly as agitated about it even. I know.
2: think part of the problem is that nothing that they have produced is less than like 80. Uh, like I looked around to try and find like, is there an even smaller version of this? Is there like, here's the quick hits and nothing they have produced is that sort of, you know, thing that you could even like print out of at a design at, at
1: a place. Well, I think you pointed to the page that spells out the technical thing. And then there's the page that kind of breaks down their, like, work remuneration scheme. And so those are, I think, probably the big ideas that are actually in here and not just gestured at. There's a whole section on the cat, which is a subject of the the next book. But what's the cat? We can't tell you what the cat is yet. It's going to be in the pink paper. They want us to <sighs> write a white paper? Yeah. We're going to write a pink paper.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah.
2: They. yeah. I will also say, just a, a small reason, they do actually do labor time accounting for things like the care
1: work at least. Yeah. No, that's great, actually. Yeah, I was gonna... Because, like, I had a little pang of oh, they don't do labor time accounting. Pang. And so there's some asterisk there. They did do care work labor time accounting. And everything else is measured in currency. So, like, I didn't get maybe one of the basic ideas here. What's the difference between the first two categories if you end up paying the second? Because was not the difference that they're getting paid? Or is it that they're Contracting outside.
2: So this this is something that's not very well explained here. And again, you have to go sort of one step deeper into their stuff. Is the Guerrilla Translation Group does two kinds of work. The one kind of work is, hey, you're a group that will translate this book for us. We are willing to pay for that. And the other organization says we're willing to pay so many dollars to make that happen here you go, make it happen. And then they produce a book, they put it out on the website, everybody's happy. There's another group, which is the love work, which is separate from the care work, which is somebody says, somebody says this would be a good thing to translate. And it could be someone from inside the organization, someone outside the organization, someone in the current like, you know, wibbly wobbly, not quite sure whether we're in and out out of the organization yet levels. And they say, we're gonna make this document say some, you know, tract or some some book. We're gonna translate this pro bono, and they take twenty five percent of the money that's coming in to be spent on those. And this is where again that commons part comes back in, because the commons. The idea is that that document they're putting into the commons so that that's how they invest into the commons in this even in this way where there's no physical asset here but there's this intellectual asset so that's where that second category is different um from the from the first the third one it's still just translation work so again let's take about our theoretical disco car factory there would be a Stream of people who are asking for a custom built car. There would be a stream of, hey, we should make a car for another co-op, and then there would be the like people making sure the co-op is functioning, and those would be the three different streams.
1: Like, but th- these are the core ideas of the book, and I just feel like I want, <laughs> I want more of that. Like, and I mean, I I like the picture of the cat with a laptop. Like, that's relatable. Like. <laughs> but like if he, uh, it, but like i guess but they i know they know it's relatable why why are they doing that you know what i, I like the cat with all the shapes above it there's a cat staring <laughs> at the shapes in space look at it yeah but like they don't even tell you what the cat is like <laughs> yeah what's going on i i, I like I, i'm so hungry like <laughs> So
0: yeah.
2: As a note, like to get back into some of the technical part, the CAT is what they're planning to do for their smart contract to put on a blockchain around this whole part.
1: And and so like, just to clarify your position, it's not just Bitcoin that's a problem; it's blockchain itself. Has, yes. Would you say like? corporate bourgeois, like abstractifying stuff or outright capitalist incentives built in? Like, how would you describe it?
2: Blockchain as an entire technology is not something that you can decouple from the value form. There are bits and pieces of blockchain that you can take into other parts of it. Like for example, timestamping. If, if you don't have transactions and you just have time stamps. You can't do that, but there is no way to do the trustless consensus part, which is the sort of thing that makes blockchain different from other things, without bringing in some sort of value.
0: Okay, why is that? Yeah, why?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, that's that's a super Marxie interesting point. Why? So we couldn't just hook it up to pancakes,
2: right? So there are two current models. So this is back to the 30-40 minutes hate on blockchain, but. Uh, there are two current models that people have come up with for doing the trustless consensus. The one that most people have heard of is called proof of work. And this is the general shape of things and why it wastes energy. The idea being is that we'll waste energy or computing power or hard drive space or something. You have to waste something. And by doing that, you will create a way of making sure that things don't go too fast and you're required to put effort into it to then be able to extract value through mining. And that's the one way one way we found to do this method.
1: Yeah, that's kind of an encoding of the old bourgeois labor theory of value.
2: So the thing is that they have now come up with the sort of second step, which is financialize it, which is, you know, they've already escalated through the sort of past 200 years to the current point, which is where you're now hearing these sort of discussions of we are having these green blockchains, like Ethereum is talking about, they're gonna move over and they're gonna be green now and they're gonna use so much less energy. But the model they are working with is called proof of stake. And the idea is that you will put a bet down to say, I would like to make the next block. And that bet is based upon you putting your money in So if you have money, you will have more chances to get the ability to make a block, which means you have to have money to make money so it's now just financialized. And you have to have that store of value to make either the game theory work in proof of work or the game theory work in proof of stake. And that's, if we're to go one step further back, it's that both of these things rely upon a game theory calculation. And the game theory calculation around some value. And so you can't build this entire ecosystem without that game theory.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. But you could, in in theory, use some kind of dist- like timestamping or distributive ledger system for uh, recording transactions or agreements or things like that. Like, that's not blockchain.
2: It, it depends upon how you implement it. You have to get rid of that game theory part of it. And this is, again, where the sort of Federation stuff is where... Personally, I think is more the direction things should be going in is trying to do global consensus is never going to get you anywhere because you can trying to build global consensus is just going to require you to build game theory back into it.
1: Yeah. So that's interesting. Like my overall attitude with game theory is that like it needs to be translated into like leftist self-defense in a way like knowing what to look for and like how not to be a mark is probably going to just be part of dealing with the gr- the outside world outside of whatever like federation it's it's like it's hard for me to accept that trustless by itself because you're assuming kind of a cold world imagining the birth of communism in the world is always going to be like rife with the antagonism at the edge being like communism what no <laughs> Like, um, <laughs> and so I, I f- just feel like it behooves us in a way to like, try to be as defensive of, of ourselves in dealing with whatever, not universal consensus. No, maybe this is just where like gesturing towards the universal is, is like a weird like thing That that's just a modern impulse that slides into something reactionary. I don't know. I, I do, I do think we need like to open that conversation up, like, especially with uh, labor organizing tactics, we should definitely embrace game theory with that. Like, why, why wouldn't we (laughs) like that by itself isn't a problem. What you're saying about there has to be some kind of value that actually like asserts itself within this, um, within that mechanism because of they have to set up a game around it you know yes. it does it does sound better to like cut out <laughs> the game if possible like and and make it like classless instead of bourgeois right
2: I don't think you can cut out the game but I think you can cut out the value
1: okay 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 we're on the same page like
2: yeah because 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 that, that that's how you have to read all of the stuff it's like there's that one paragraph in the bitcoin white paper and right. you know the similar one paragraph in the the proof of stake papers that are just like explaining to you here is why people will continue to play this game and the reason they will continue to play this game is because by playing the game they will continue to hold value if you can figure out a way to play the game that doesn't say by doing this you will continue to hold value then you might have something the, the thing is that as of now i have not seen that and i do a bunch of in, in research on this all the time. No, so no like... that that game is rigged.
1: Like it, <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's all it's it's all about what game you're playing. Yeah, no, no, no. That's yeah. No, that that makes perfect sense to me. Thank you for the clarification.
2: And and, and that's where like this is why you can sort of make the arguments that there is this sort of inherently like right wing, proprietarian like thing that's at the core of a lot of this stuff, is because it's all based upon having this store of value because that's where it came from is this idea that if we can build the math this way, that this was the, this is how it will work. And like, I've, even before, like I got to this point in my politics, I've always been very skeptical of Bitcoin and very early on, I sort of described it as just, you have encoded your politics into math and I don't think your politics are correct.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Okay. A lot of a lot of what how you're explaining this, it seems to be verifying my gut instincts about about Bitcoin and blockchain. Like in gen- I don't know. Like this 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 all tracks to me. Like there's just something about it that does seem. It, it, yeah, it does just like the entire thing seems like it's designed to answer something that's only a problem again for gold bugs and libertarian psychos.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and I want to you know rob them and take their shit but like we need to transform some of their tools because we we don't want to do the same twisted things that they do like right and so as, as an,
2: yeah
1: ironing as, out the differences here has been really helpful
2: as an example there are two projects that they're the project for dogecoin which you've probably heard of one of the things it is—it is ridiculous that you sometimes have to talk about this stuff so seriously. But yeah, anyways. no, it's
1: great. No, I, like I'm—I'm I'm happy with the meme planet. Is everyone happy with the meme planet?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's on fire, but you yeah. Know.
1: So.
2: So Dogecoin did something that the Bitcoin algorithm doesn't. So Bitcoin is just a set of parameters to start up something like Bitcoin you can just go over to, there used to be like a website you could go to where you would just click buttons where you just set how many coins you wanted, everything else. And it would just give you an executable that you just said, get 10 of your friends to run this executable and you'll have a new coin tomorrow. Um, Like that's how simple it is to make one. And one of the, so the buy behind Dogecoin just went to one of those websites, clicked a bunch of different parameters and created Dogecoin and said, this is a joke, have fun. And that's what created the thing one of the parameters that was on there that never gets clicked in most of these kids' situations because it's primarily being clicked by gold bug libertarians is fixed inflation. And so Dogecoin has a fixed 2% inflation every year. Bitcoin, on the other hand, it has a fixed number of coins that will expire in like 2034 or something like that. Don't quote me. Um, They'll expire. They will, they will. They will run out of Bitcoin at some point. Dogecoin will continue to add more coins into the system.
1: Immortality
0: is that the kind of like economics. There's because there's always you know even behind any bubble there's some kind of rationale there, you know besides the fact that it's got the Shiba Inu on it. The Shiba is, is that
1: like a part of it? Gold, like.
0: <laughs> Yeah
2: the 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 reason that it is a thing is that it became because no one thought it would have value, it had no value for a very long time. And it, people made, for example, Reddit bots that would allow you to give people Dogecoin by commenting on a Reddit bot and move the money around that way. And uh, so that, and, just, and then they just sort of didn't die God, because God most damn, of these projects just died. At, like, you know, on the early days of the Bitcoin form, it was just like every day, here's Ron Paul coin, here's 420
1: coin, here's like, <laughs> no. you know, yeah. This is true. Yeah, but- I remember that shit.
0: My my favorite of all time was Ponzi coin.
1: Yes, Ponzi coin. Yeah, That's cute. where
0: they were just like, this is a this is a Ponzi scheme. But if you get out at the right time, you can make some money.
2: <laughs> there were there were websites that were just Bitcoin Ponzi scheme. Where it's just like you go here, you put some money in, and if you're at the right level, you'll get money out. If you're not, you'll lose all your money. And they just advertise yeah. it that way, and they made so much money off of that.
0: Yeah. I mean at that point at that point it's actually become something I support which is gambling. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Like that's that could be a good time. But, but you know just gotta, you got you got to let people know what they're in for.
2: Damn. But 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 I mean going back to even like the early day of the bitcoin there were people who went on the bitcoin forum and said, "You know, there's this problem that bitcoin is inherently deflationary. We could just add like a fixed 2% thing and because again as long as 51% of the coins, 51% of the nodes continue to agree with doing 2% inflation, we'll never have, for example, even if you want to go into like the whole Fed conspiracy, you know, bring down the market, it would just be a fixed 2% all the time. It would fix so many problems. And Yeah, but that,
0: that would debase the currency. Right, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that,
2: that, that was the exact if, response. If,
0: if you want to take my currency to prom, you got to respect my rules. One, I am a Marine. Two, I have a gun. Three. But yeah, Dogecoin exists.
2: It, it has a fixed inflation on it. It's not going anywhere. So, you know, again, there there's so many times where Bitcoin has been proved that all of the sort of what you're saying, Jake, that every time they say, here's what we do, here's a counterexample that has existed in the past five years since you've said this thing.
0: Yeah. All right. So we should probably, I think, bring this in for a landing. Was yeah. there anything else we wanted to cover here?
1: I think I think we got it. So Bitcoin bad, blockchain bad, but we could break it and take stuff from it.
0: I might buy. I might buy some Dogecoin after this. I like that it's got like I I like that it's somewhat inflationary. Yeah. Uh, like that seems like maybe it's not completely crazy. That's
1: progressive, right? You know, like yeah. No, I'm still holding out for the pancake like if if co-ops start using pancakes like currency well, you like could, i you, think that you
0: could go to that website apparently stuff. and just click the right parameters i'm sure you know have them put a communism box in you know one of the things you check
1: all right great yeah just yeah check the communism box yeah yeah
0: can pan- make pancake coin send send it to your disco cat yeah. Oh, yeah and then you're set
1: yeah i need i need mommy needs to pay for school you know what i mean like come on let's go
2: To sort of bring into landing on the DiscoCat thing, the DiscoCat is just them saying, here's a smart contract we would like to put on the blockchain that encodes some of these rules. And this is sort of where the sort of like, again, trustless thing is that really all they're doing when you do a smart contract like that, is just saying, here's a bit of code that I'm publishing out to the internet and will never change but it still requires the people who interact with that code to interact with it in a trustworthy way. So, you know, if you install the disco cat and then you go and you say, well, Jake did 1,000 hours of care work and you press the button to do that, that happens. There is, there is no way to like, there's no way to encode the actual work occurred into the smart contract which is why I okay. feel as a term that name is totally wrong because it doesn't – there's no legal thing behind you. There's no way to adjudicate things. It's just a bit of code.
0: Oh, so that's bullshit too then. Yes.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Holy shit.
2: Yeah. The, the, like, oh, my God. This is the whole NFT thing. This is everything else that's around it that like, people are saying are doing these things is um, – the, the most ridiculous thing about it is there's a book by Charlie Strauss called Accelerando. Where one of the co- concepts in the book is that people start writing contracts in computer code to make things, you know, possibly easier, and they immediately run into this problem. And 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 it's like there was a book written in, in like the '90s that said this.
0: So yeah, because I knew I knew I knew NFTs were completely fucking stupid, and I suspected that the coin stuff was fucking stupid. But I thought maybe some, smart contracts—that sounds like it could work. No. Also has the same exact set of problems as everything else.
2: Right. I mean, again, if you want to execute a bit of code, if you want to execute a bit of code that you have published and you want to have people pay to execute that code, that's what an NFT is, is that you just pay a company to, you you say, a company has said, we have published a bit of code saying we authenticate this uh, URL is something. And you pay them through the blockchain to execute a bit of code that will then send you back a string that says, "Here is the the organization has authenticated this string as someone has paid to make this Get happen.. Fuck out.
1: <laughs> NFTs are such a farce. It's so much like the, what I love is the willing NFT consumers. It's almost like it's it's like touching. They're like reenacting capitalism when it worked. like <laughs> and it's like,, well, it's, it's so silly.
0: The, well, the NFT thing was such a sign for me because it reminds it reminded me of the speculative boom in baseball cards from the early 90s. Talk to where, me. you know, what? like basically people, you know, discovered like their Babe, you know, boomers discovered their Babe Ruth that they had. Everyone else threw them away, and the ones who kept them, they were worth like you know ton of money So like oh baseball cards are worth money i'm gonna buy current baseball cards and then they'll be worth money and this led to this you know (laughs) tulip mania style like speculative boom ditto ditto for comic books this happened with comic books around the same time and so yeah and then of course that eventually came crashing down by the mid 90s uh it sounds like the nfts thing really just reminded me that so much it's like oh yeah this is all just a modern you know this is this is our modern uh, desperate side hustle speculative bubble. You know.
2: To clarify that, one of the reasons it took off at the time it did is a company called NBA Top Shots went out where the thing that they are selling is an NFT of a moment from an NBA game. And you yes. buy them in booster packs. You buy like a booster pack of clips from a game and then you get an NFT representing a particular like five second clip of a you know, moment from an NBA game. Yeah. So it's just a sports card.
0: Yeah. And then you basically had like, like some major NFT sold at auction for like some record amount. That was, but it's, uh, that was people. And it was a thing where this was a guy that was willing to
2: jump on the thing at the very beginning of it. And he was able to make all the money out of it because of that.
0: And it also sounds like that was a pump and dump thing where they basically, some people like jacked the price on that to convince people that NFTs were viable so they could cash in on a bunch of stuff yep. shortly thereafter. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So again, that's what an NFT actually is. If you have to like go down into it is, again, it's running this smart contract and it's something where it's, again, based around this organization. It's a, it Again, it's the thing back and forth with you say we're working on a trustless system, but... So you still have to base yourself around this organization claims that they are doing the thing for you. So even in right. the trustless system, you still have this trust element that you have to bring back into it.
0: And I mean, there I think that there is a tension in this thing that I'm sympathetic to where they're talking about sort of like on-chain, off-chain stuff. And talking about, yeah, there is a tension And you want something where, you know, you deal with the trustlessness, but you also do have to, but building trust is the natural part of like any human social organization as well. So there's a tension there, but yeah, it sounds like yeah the blockchain stuff they're talking about within this project does seem kind of like a superfluous add-on. Like the labor time, the the, the care work, and the kind of like feminist breakdown of uh, different types of labor being brought to these co-ops again seems like kind of like the meat and potatoes of this. That it's actually the part that I I don't object to.
2: Yeah, I
1: agree. And so thank you for bringing some actual like un- <laughs> experience. And understanding of the underlying concepts of whatever the fuck was going on here. Um,
0: yeah, this is very helpful.
1: Thank you. Thank Sarah. you. You're very welcome. Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun.
0: Like, Thanks for coming on. No, no problem. That's it for this time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, uh, check out our Patreon. Uh, and that's it. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.